Good evening, everyone. This is Father Michael. Welcome back to our third uh, edition of our Let Us Attend, A Journey Through the Divine Liturgy uh, classes. Uh, this evening, we are going to go through the Great Litany, and hopefully we'll go through the, uh, through the Antiphons. Uh, as we, as we uh, started last week, we began with the first few words of the, uh, of the Divine Liturgy, Blesses the Kingdom, both now and forever, to the ages of ages, amen. And amen. And look, that took a whole class to talk about those just those few, first few words. But now, uh, that's that's not a, that's we can't uh, we can't go any faster than that because those words are so full of meaning to us that we need to take one class just on them. This evening, we're going to continue with the what we call the Great Litany or the Synapti. Um, this is when the what is called the Liturgy of the Word begins. Uh, just a short explanation. The Divine Liturgy is uh, divided into two basic parts. The first part being the Liturgy of the Word. Uh, this goes from the beginning until the end of the homily. And this is the time when the catechumens would be included in the worship and so that they can come together, they can hear um, the gospel, they can hear the good news, uh, they could be prayed for, um, and then they would hear the, the epistle on the uh, gospel and then the sermon explaining the gospel. And then that the liturgy of the word would end with the beginning of the uh, prayer of the faithful that will, that will come at, the, um, at that time. Follow, and then they would be dismissed for the creed. So we have the liturgy of the word. Uh, then we have the liturgy of the faithful. In the ancient church, only the faithful, only those who were, who were baptized and chrismated in the church and not under some kind of penance would be allowed to stay for the anaphora or the offering of the gifts and to receive communion. Um, those who were catechumens or those who were under some kind of penance would be uh, escorted when the, when the deacon would yell, the doors, the doors, that's what they meant, the these people would be escorted and they would uh, continue the rest of the liturgy either in the narthex or outside. Now, some people ask me, Father Michael, I'm a catechumen. Should I leave at this time? And the answer is uh, today, no. That's not a practice that we have in the parishes. Um, so please stay. Uh, but that was a practice in the church. So here begins with the great litany, the liturgy of the word. Now, we call the Great Litany, these, uh, this series of petitions, we call it great not, because, not only because of its length, but because of the scope and, that the litany covers. It refers to the totality of our needs and the requests that we make with these petitions. Um, in these petitions, every man and woman is prayed for. No aspect of human existence is left out. So we begin with this great litany. The litany is an invitation to prayer. These prayers are said both by the clergy and the laity. Uh, as you know, there's a petition, and then it's completed with the people saying, Lord, have mercy. Um, there are 11 petitions. Uh, 10 address the common needs of the people. Um, just a little word study. The word litany comes from the Greek word lisome, which means to entreat. Um, originally, uh, this 
this litany was chanted in open procession um, either uh, around the church or from one church to another. We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but originally the divine liturgy, say in the great city of Constantinople, did not begin in the great cathedral of St. Sophia. It would have begun, the celebration for a particular saint would have begun in that saint's um, uh, uh, chapel. Uh, for example, the church of St. Irini in Constantinople on her feast day, the liturgy would begin actually the night before with great vespers and they would have great uh, celebration in the chanting of the vespers and they would have a procession with the icon inside the church. Uh, and then the next morning, uh, they would chant Orthros in the church, that little chapel. And then they would have a procession to the great church where they would continue the liturgy. So we're going to see some processions in this church. And you're going to wonder, why, why are we having these processions? It's because originally, a lot of the, church, a lot of the liturgy began in another location. So... So the litany is, comes from the Greek to entreat, and it originally was chanted with this procession, and then with the people gathered inside the great cathedral. Um, so, let's, so we here has, have another name for the great litany. Also, it's called the great synapti, which means the, this collection. That is the collection of the people. The people uh, are collected to gather and to pray. Um, we're going to learn that in the ancient church, the divine liturgy actually did not begin with the blessed is the kingdom where we start now. It, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit. It began at the, what's called the small entrance of the, um, of the gospel book. But the, since the ninth century, the liturgy, as we know it today, began, begins here with the great synapti. Now, originally... These prayers are, were, are humble requests, as they still are, by catechumens and penitents who had not re reached perfection. So the very liturgy begins with humble prayers for material things. And as you see, these, these prayers are, they ascend. As we go through these prayers and into the liturgy, we ascend higher and higher in praying for loftier and more spiritual things. So here in the Great Litany, we begin with humble prayers for our material needs. And in this great synapti, all, all of our physical needs are prayed, prayed for in some form or another. Now, just something about these, these prayers. The first three petitions are for peace. Uh, and sometimes we have another name. It may even have that in your liturgy book, the Litany of Peace. So we have the great litany, or the great synapti, or the litany of peace. Ten of these eleven petitions are addressed by the deacon, and if there's not a deacon, then a priest to the people. Um, now these petitions are not prayed directly to God. The priest says the prayers, let us pray for this, let us pray for that, and then the people come together and complete these prayers and make it a prayer offered up to God. So in all of these prayers, we are praying as a community for the common good. So let's go through the great litany. Uh, we begin with, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. 
So the very litany, our first petition, begins with peace. Now, the word for peace in Greek is, is irini. We heard through the liturgy, irini, irini pasi, peace be with you. Now, the word peace in Greek comes from the verb, ancient, it's a very ancient Greek word, iro, which means to join or to tie together into a whole. So it means, if, it means, it has this idea that two things are separate, but when they're brought together, there's wholeness. As is, for example, when the essential, essential parts are all working together. So think about this, what we're saying, in peace let us pray to the Lord. We're saying let us all come together as the church, as the body of Christ, to, pee, to, to pray to God. Imagine what we say later on, the priest says later on, peace be with you. It's not the priest's peace, it's not Father Michael's peace, that we're, but it is the peace from above, the, pre, the peace from God. Think about it, when, when, when the priest says, peace be with you, Jesus is speaking through the priest and through the priesthood. And think about this, Jesus is saying, connect with me, join with me. Let, us, let our destinies be tied together. Your essential life is tied with me. If you want to be whole, if you want your life to work together, join with me. So this is why the very first words that we say in these petitions is, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. So this peace is fundamental to all prayer and to the entirety of Christian life. Peace is a gift. It's not something that we can conjure up or earn ourselves. This peace, this irini, is Jesus' great gift to the earth and the great gift to the church. So we say, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. Peace is something that we enter into. Peace is a state of being. Peace is entering into the fold of God's protective wings. It's as if we are little chicks entering into the wings, into the fold of the mother hen. And when we enter into this fold, we have perfection and we cast out all distractions. So the first prayer, in peace let us pray to the Lord, gives us the rule. When we pray, when we celebrate the divine liturgy, we must be in peace. We cannot pray unless we are in peace. So the first prayer tells us to clear the clutter, to leave the world of chaos and disorder, or if you like, of being broken apart and being separate from God and from each other, to put all those things and those distractions that draw us, that distract us away, and enter into the peace of God. If we are at peace, we will be unassailable to the devil. So as we begin the divine liturgy, we must rid the confusion and double-mindedness that we have of fence-sitting in the, in the world, part of our, our being being in the world, and then part of our being being with God. That doesn't work. With the very beginning of the liturgy, we enter completely into God's peace. So we say, in peace let us pray to the Lord. Now this word, let us pray to the Lord. The word in Greek is, they thomen. 
the actual Greek is, let us beg of the Lord. Let us beg of the Lord. We admit that by saying this, that we are small and weak and insignificant and helpless before God. So this prayer precedes the glorifying prayer, such as the Holy God and the Holy Mighty and the Holy Immortal that we are going to chant later. We begin our prayers by entreating, by begging, by imploring God. And then every petition in this synapti is answered with Kideleson, Lord have mercy. This is the people's response to these petitions. All petitions, again, are addressed to the people, not to God. The people then turn them to God by saying, Lord, have mercy. So again, when we, in, the, in the prayers, the liturgy is not a passive thing. It's for everyone to shout, Lord, have mercy. Everybody, the priests, the chanters, and everybody in the church. That's what makes it a prayer of the people. So everyone should shout and cry out, Lord, have mercy. Now, the Lord here refers to Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, and, and uh, so we, we are, when we offer these petitions, we, we dare ask for nothing before we ask for God's mercy. Then we continue. For the peace from above. For the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. The peace we seek does not come from this world. It is a divine gift, divine peace that comes from Christ, who is the king of priests, of peace. Bishop Callistos Ware says that peace is not a psychological state produced by my own effort. True peace comes from above as a gift of God, a gift of, of grace. So this peace we have is not man-made, it is divine. It comes from Christ because, as St. Paul says, Christ is our peace. This peace is righteousness bestowed, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This peace is surety given to us from Christ, which comes from faith and hope in him and his promises. Then this petition continues. And for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. Christians are concerned about their souls. Unlike the world, Christians care about salvation. We pray for it as the supreme good that we can attain by God's grace. As Jesus himself said, what does a man gain if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? So in the divine liturgy, we are praying to obtain the salvation of our souls, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, salvation as you may have heard, either as Orthodox Christians or those preparing to become Orthodox Christians, salvation in the Orthodox understanding is a transformation. So we do not ask, are you saved, like many other Christians do, because we understand that salvation is not an instantaneous conversion. We say we are saved if we hold fast to the word that is preached to us. This is what St. Paul taught the Corinthians. He continues, provided that we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast and not shifting. 
St. Paul describes salvation as a process, even as a race. He says, we are not finished with this race until we are finished. We can say, as Orthodox Christians, we shall be saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we incessantly beg to receive this grace with hope. Salvation means wholeness, the fullness of life. We do not necessarily understand salvation in a legal, juridical understanding as being released only from our guilty terms. We cannot have this wholeness of life without divine grace, without his transforming us, without his purifying us, without his perfecting us. So we pray for the salvation of our souls, not alone, not as individuals, but as a community. The Orthodox understanding is self, about salvation is that it is not an individualistic manner. We are saved through and by and with others. So when we come together for this great synapti, this great gathering, we come to mutually support each other. Now we move on to the next petition. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the holy churches of God, and for the union of all, let us pray to the Lord. So this peace on earth was declared by the angels at the birth of Christ. This peace comes from us being born from above. True peace can only come after achieving peace in our soul. True peace cannot be imposed on others. For example, by an army or by the command of a king. A true world of peace in the worldly understanding can only be a utopia. You know where the word utopia comes from? Um, it comes from, it's a made-up word from, um, from um, the author. Oh, his name is escaping me, forgive me. Utopos, no place. So human peace, peace that comes from humans, does not exist. It only exists after we live a model blessed and after following Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, to, give this peace to you. So peace, this peace is not passive, but active. It is not just inward, but outward. It is practical, it is outgoing. It is active. It is preserved by us by continually repenting and turning to Christ. So like salvation, this peace is not just an individual request, but we request it for the whole world. We want the whole world to know this beautiful thing that we have received of God's peace and God's love. One father says, if we seek peace selfishly, we will never find it. That being said, Orthodox Christians can find a haven in the church and in this enterprise of celebrating the divine liturgy. And then we say, continuing that, completing that, um, that petition for the well-being of the holy churches of God, and then for the union of all, let us pray to the Lord. So well-being here, uh, here means to obtain, well-being here means to remain orthodox. Well-being means to remain steadfast to the 
faith of the fathers, the faith of the ancient church, the faith, the tra holy tradition that Christ himself gave to the apostles. So we, we pray that all local Orthodox Christian communities will be kept in the truth, that we remain firm in the Orthodox faith, and that we may overcome our trials and emerge victorious. By the way, something about these petitions that we have, we do not say, keep us from this. Don't let, don't let us experience those things. Most of these petitions, you'll notice, they say, help us through these things. Guide us through these things. Preserve us through these things. Because we know that things happen, that there are earthquakes. We obviously know that there are pestilences and, and pandemics. But we pray to God to help. And we, pray, we know that there are times of, of tribulation and persecution. So we pray to God to help us through these things, to help us navigate through these things. So back to this, the well-being of the holy churches of God. The churches refer to the Orthodox churches, not to the various Christian denominations. It refers to the local Eucharistic Orthodox communities as we encounter them in the New Testament as, and as we encounter them today. Um, and then we pray for the union of all. By all, again, we mean all Orthodox Christians. We pray that the churches remain stable. They remain faithful and united. We may be united and partake of the one bread and the one cup and the communion of the one Holy Spirit. If the church is divided, we cannot. So Christ himself prayed that all of his followers may be perfectly one. He, he prays in John chapter 17. So this unity, another word, another English translation we may use is oneness or union. So this unity is referred to as the oneness in Christ, that the members of the various local churches must maintain, manifested in peace, love, and harmony, this oneness that we show for one another. Then we continue to the next petition. For this holy house and for those who enter it with faith, reverence, and the fear of God, let us pray to the Lord. So while we can pray anywhere, <clears throat> it is the sanctuary where we gather together to offer our common worship. Saint Germanos in the eighth century, when he was teaching the catechumens about the divine liturgy, he said, the church is the temple of God, a holy place, a house of prayer. It is an earthly heaven in which the heavenly God dwells. Anywhere where God is, is a temple, whether it is in the great churches of orthodoxy in the world, whether it is in little, little churches of St. Sophia and St. Uh, Innocent, anywhere. Uh, the, 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 where, the, where, the church, where, where the Lord is, that is where the church is. So the building is called the church, not because of the, the, the material that it's made of, however, it's because it houses the church. It houses the ecclesia. We talked about in the last time what this word ecclesia, the Greek word for church means. It means those who are called from without to come together. And it's, it's the, the church are those who have been invited to come together and gather in one place at one time to be in God's 
physical presence. So we say, for this holy house and for those who enter it with faith, reverence and the fear of God, let us pray to the Lord. Now, this uh, idea, praying for those who enter with faith, reverence, and fear, it implies that it's possible that not everyone who enters the church is prayed for. We only pray for those who enter with faith, with reverence, and the fear of God. We do not, if we do not enter in such a way, the prayers of the church are not offered to us. The, our God does not want us to pay lip service. He does not want us to go through the liturgy. He wants us to be fully present and have our words be fervent and full of prayer and full of our presence. What does the word fear, as in fear of God, means? It does not mean to stand in terror before God, as if he were cruel, as if I said last time. We don't, this fear does not mean that Godzilla fear, that we have of God, even though God is the, is the creator of the universe and his memory gives us life and his, his forgettingness makes us not exist. This is something to be in awe of, to be, to be afraid of in a way. But this fear that we have is a fear that comes from a relationship with love. It means, this fear means we stand in reverent awe for God's greatness his awesomeness, his holiness, and his majesty. And we can add all of those adjectives to his compassion and to his mercy, his great mercy, his awesome compassion, his holy mercy that is unlike anything in the world, and his majesty. So the Greek word for fear, by the way, is phobos. Uh, and that this does not correspond with the English word fear. This word phobos is loaded with the word reverence. And then we continue. We say for our bishop, or, or in the case of our metropolis, uh, of uh, the Greek Orthodox metropolis of San Francisco, we say for our archbishop Gerasimus, the name of our local bishop, for the Antiochians, it is for Bishop Joseph, Archbishop Joseph. For the Honorable Presbyterate, for the Diaconate in Christ, and for all the clergy and the people, let us pray to the Lord. Many times, it's a, I, I notice when I go to the Antiochian churches, and I, and I like it, and I, and I try to remember to say it here. We say, for our Archbishop and Father, Gerasimos and Joseph, because that is who he is. God is ordained and appointed a father for us, a hierarch for us, the, uh, to, to someone we relate with, someone we can turn to for prayer uh, and for, for, for discipline and for inspiration and for direction, whatever it is we need. But So in this, um, in this petition, we pray for the bishop, and then we pray for those in holy orders, the higher clergy, the bishops, the priests, the deacons, the lower clergy, the subdeacons, the readers. And then we pray also together with all the all faithful Christians. The word for people here is the laos, often is translated as the laity. That is, in, in, together we pray to the Lord. So the hierarchical nature of the church is stated. Uh, the entire hierarchy, the clergy and the laity is prayed for. Now, something we understand as Orthodox Christians is that the church 
is not a democracy in the same way that our country is a democracy. The church, like the Holy Trinity, is a, is a consensus, but there is a hierarchy. There is a Father, there is a Son, there is a Holy Spirit of the same essence, equal in divinity, equal in dignity, but there is the Father who is the hierarch. That same model is also in the church. The church is not a democracy, again, in the same way that our country is a democracy or, or a public, and it's not the same that maybe even our families are a democracy. Uh, we, we, are, um, we, are, we are a community with a hierarchy. However, the clergy must never delegate, right? I mean, sorry, the church clergy must not dominate, however, they are to be the first ones to love and lead and live in harmony. So now something here, the clergy and the laity in this petition are said together. And there's this other orthodox understanding that while there is an ordination of, of clergy and laity, there also is understanding that all orthodox Christians are participate in the holy priesthood of, of Christ and the faithful by virtue of their baptism and chrismation. So unlike in Israel, in the Old Testament, just as we studied in the, uh, when we did our Bible study on Hebrews, in the Old Testament, there was a, um, a, um, a family, a tribe that could only, only the priests could come from, a priestly tribe. There is not a priestly tribe in Orthodox Christianity. In Orthodox Christianity, all Christians partake in this royal priesthood. Some are, some of these royal priesthood, some of this royal priesthood are ordained to celebrate the mysteries and the sacraments. Some are ordained to be lay servants. Some are ordained to sing and to serve and to heal. Um, but uh, we're all are one priesthood. There's only one priest in the church, as you know, and we have his picture on uh, the bishop's throne. Uh, and on that icon, on the bishop's throne, it says in the icon, Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the high and the great high priest. I like to think of it that when our Bishop Gerasimus is sitting on that throne, that he, Jesus is whispering into the bishop's ear that, you know, you bishop, you are participating in my priesthood. I, when I look at it, I see Jesus is talking to me, you, Father Michael. You are, you are not Father Michael on your own right. You are a priest participating in my Jesus Christ priesthood. You lay people. You are not here to be active and only to be served. You are here to serve and to offer and to be the hands and the feet and the mouth and the eyes of, of, of God as he, as he is serving the world. So we pray for our, hierarch, our, our hierarchs, and we should, because they need it. The hierarchs will give an account for us, and we are accountable for them. If they are not well to lead, then we are led astray. If they do not teach the truth, then we will learn lies. We should pray that they may be above reproach and temperate and sensible and dignified and hospitable as St. Paul uh, gives the, uh, the prerequisites for a bishop in 1 Timothy. They, should, they must be good teachers. They must be blameless. 
they must be upright, and they must be holy. So the bishops have a lot of grace. They've been given a lot of grace. They've been given a lot of authority. They have been given a lot of discernment, discerning power, but they need that power to guide us and to be to guide us and help us on our path to salvation. Next, we pray for our country, for the president, and for all in public service, and for armed forces, our armed forces, let us pray to the Lord. Nowadays, especially in this um, very polarized society that we live in for this day, hopefully this will subside someday, I wonder what new people think, especially young people when they come in for the first time and they hear the priest up there saying, for our country, for the president, and for the, those who are working for the government and for the army, what are they thinking? I want to show them that it's written in the book. This is going to be in the book, no matter who is the president or no matter what party he is in, we are praying for our civil leaders. We pray for them because they, need, they were appointed by God, like it or not by us, agree with it or not by us, by us to be in these petitions. So in the church, we remember our church leaders. As we remember our church leaders, we also remember our country and our civic leaders. And this is old Christian practice. This is even scriptural. St. Paul tells us to pray for our leaders, as he says in the epistle to St. Timothy. He says, St. Paul says that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. So yes, it is true. Whoever is our king, whoever is our president, whoever is our prime minister, whoever is our king or queen, uh, for example, in Canada, we do, they do pray for the head of state, for the queen of Queen Elizabeth. I made that mistake once when I was in Canada. I prayed for the president by mistake. That was a rookie error. But we pray for them because who they are affects our lives in some way or another. And so if they are at peace, and if they are supported and prayed for, if they, St. Paul is exhorting Christians to be good citizens because we are aiming for the citizenship in the heavenly kingdom, not to create paradise on earth. So St. Paul was very serious about the Christians. Don't go and start uprising and insurrections in the name of Christ. We are, we are aiming for the other kingdom. And we pray for these leaders as human beings. St. Simeon, the new theologian, said about praying for our, our leaders. He said, This by divine decree and commanded from heaven, for he that transmits sanctification as clergy is superior to those sanctified, even if they are kings. So the church prays, keeping the law, the law of St. Paul precisely in praying for kings and those of high ranks, especially those that are orthodox, that God may assist him. Think about this. When St. Paul wrote this epistle to St. Timothy, who was there? The emperor of Rome. I believe it was Nero. He was no cupcake. Who was the, who was the king of, in Israel? 
he was no cupcake. So if we could pray, if the church prayed for Nero and Caligula and Justin the, uh, um, Justin the Apostate, then we could pray for whoever is our president or our king or queen today. And then we pray for our armed forces. The church prays for those who place themselves in harm's way in defense of their nation. Now, many times this is left out out of political correctness, um, uh, but we, we, we keep it in our petitions. There is sometimes found a petition to enable them, that is the armed forces, to subdue every enemy and adversary. But, no, but we are praying for our physical needs, our physical desire of peace and of protection, and, the, and from the fear of, of, uh, of invasion, and as it says in many of the prayers, of the sword. Then we continue. For this community, or in the Greek it says, for this kinotitos, for this parish and city, for every city and town, and for those who live in them, let us pray to the Lord. Now we pray for this community of St. Sophia, or of St. Innocent, but we, we have to think about it in the way of the universal church. We need to think about it in the proper ecclesiological, ecclesiological way. We do not pray for our parish as a mere part of the universal church. We pray because our local parishes in Bellingham and Everson is the local place of the fullness of the church in its entirety. Our little churches here are as important as the greatest Orthodox Christian churches of all times of the past or of today. Our Orthodox Church has as much of the presence of the Kingdom of God as the Church of St. Demetrios, the big, I'm just thinking of the big churches in Seattle, of the St. Sophia Church in Los Angeles, of the Holy Trinity Cathedral in New York, or in any church in Athens or Russia or anywhere. Our church is the local presence of the fullness of the church. But think of it this way. The church is not a branch. Our parish is not a branch of the church. Our church is not a franchise, as if it's akin to a McDonald's franchise or a Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. The entire church is united to us in our respective cities as we are united to them. So we are not just praying for our own parishioners, but for all Orthodox Christians in the world. We continue with, for favorable weather, an abundance of the fruits of the earth and temperate seasons, let us pray to the Lord. Now, this is the humblest of all of our petitions to God. Our most common and material needs are lifted up here by the people to God. So in this prayer, we are not asking for spiritual things. We are asking for material things. We are asking for food. We are asking for water. We are asking for I like the word it's peaceful times. Sometimes it says seasonable weather. Uh, the word is keros. The word is for, for times. 
keros. This keros is a time that we can be present with God, that these things won't interrupt our prayer. Um, so we ask in faith, knowing that God is the giver of every good thing. And these things we ask for are good things. Um, and though spiritual things are the higher things that we pray for, we are not called to despise the body and the material world uh, as, for example, the heretics of old did. We understand that we have bodies, and as human, we are human beings, body and soul, together. And so we pray for these things that our body needs. And though there are disasters and disorder, and this creation is not, not perfect, God is in control. God is guiding us through these things. We hear people say, where's God in this hurricane, in this tornado? God is leading us through these things. And we as adults, mature Orthodox Christians know that and know that these disasters are a reality and that there are famines, there are, there are floods, there are uh, the lack of food, famine, that we turn to God, not to blame God, but to understand that he will guide us through these things. So in this petition, we signify our total dependence on God as the Supreme Lord over our lives. Then we continue. For travelers by land, sea, and air, for the sick, the suffering, the captives, and for their salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Now the understanding in the Orthodox Church is that there are only a few good reasons to be absent from the church at liturgy. And apart from these few good reasons, the rest are all excuses. So if we are traveling, that's an excuse to be away from the church. However, if you're in a town and you can go to church, then you go to that church. If you are sick, then you cannot come to church. And we can understand even today with this pandemic why that's the case. Because they had an idea of, of, of illnesses and, and contagions back then. They wanted people to stay home for their own health and for the protection of the people. For those who are suffering, for those who are being persecuted, in other words, those who are in jail, and for their safety or their safekeeping, or as it says in the Greek also, for their salvation, um, we pray for them. So the church prays for those who are present, and it also pray, prays for those who are absent with good cause. In the liturgy of St. Basil, there are very specific prayers where it says that we pray for those who are present and for those who are absent with good cause. So if one is absent without a good cause, that person is not prayed for. We pray for those who are not present only if they are traveling or if they are sick or they are captives. Those who cut themselves off from the worship for worldly pleasures and pursuits are not prayed for. We also understood, even though I feel very safe when I fly, but throughout human history, traveling was dangerous. So the church prays for those who are traveling. And regarding the sick, uh, St. James says in his epistle, the prayer of the faithful will save the sick. So we pray for the sick to be restored to wholeness through the church. And we assist privately with these people, but also corporately as well. 
And, we, and above all, we pray for the healing of soul and body. Then we continue. For our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger, and distress, let us pray for, for the Lord. We pray for a rescue from all external threats to our health and safety. And this, uh, together with the, the previous petition, is the most humble and human requests that we can make. Now there's a question. With this prayer, are we praying for divine, miraculous interventions? And the answer is that we pray, we ask God not to take away the affliction from us, but to give us the strength to endure it, to be delivered through it, and we also pray to not be tested beyond what we can bear. So human suffering, by the way, one father says, is not necessarily related to our personal sins. Sometimes these struggles and afflictions can be helpful for our souls. They can help us towards our salvation. They can purify us. So these things that we pray for deliverance through may be part of God's inscrutable purposes and ineffable plans. And then we're starting to wind up these petitions. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, and protect us, O God, by your grace. So this petition summarizes all of the previous ones. This petition particularly, help us, save us, have mercy on us, and protect us by your grace, is said throughout the liturgy. It is repeated at the most times, the around eight times through the liturgy, uh, even to the very last at the end of the liturgy. So we say help us because we are saved together. We are saved by God. We are saved with our brother or sister in Christ, or we are not saved at all. So this petition, this is the one petition, unlike the previous 10, is addressed directly to God. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, and protect us, O God, by your grace. And we pray to God to strengthen us in our times of trial. And then we finish with this petition. Commemorating our most holy, immaculate, and most blessed and glorious lady, the Theotokos and ever-Virgin Mary, with all the saints, let us commit ourselves or let us commend ourselves, or let us offer ourselves and one another and our whole life to Christ our God. So remember in the last class, we talked about this concept of anamnesis. I know Bishop Isaiah in Denver is very specific to his priests, and I, and I do this here. He says, we do not say, because some translations say, remembering, our most holy, pure, blessed, and glorious lady, he insists that we say commemorating. Because if we say remembering, it's as if we have forgotten the Theotokos. But we don't forget the Theotokos. We commemorate her in our living memory, and we, we bring her into our presence. We, we turn to her, we cling to her as our mother, and we, are, and we, we, we call for her help. One father says that this is a call to arms with the aim the aim of this is that we commemorate the theotokos 
and all the saints, whose very aim is to help ready us to go to spiritual battle against evil and overcome it, as the saints did, as the Theotokos suffered, and all all the saints uh, suffered and were martyrs, were witnesses and victors to the end. We are called to stand together as the ecclesia, as the church, praying for one another, because it has this word, let us commit ourselves, alilus, one another, and dedicating ourselves and one another over and over to Christ. You know, we repeat this petition um, two more times in the Divine Liturgy, and we're going to talk a little bit later on during the antiphons. Why do we, why do we repeat this? Some people say we should stop repeating this prayer. It's redundant. It makes no sense. Uh, it does make sense, and we need to keep doing this over and over again. And this petition, by, and these petitions, by the way, are said at every single sacrament and at almost every single gathering of the church. So this, this petition is ongoing liturgically in our, in our prayers. So back to this, commemorating our most holy, pure, blessed, and glorious lady, the Theotokos. Right? So we are, called, um, we are called to stand together as the ecclesia, we are not alone as the ecclesia. We have intercessors. We have those who are praying for us, that are existing with us, that have lived before us, that have the experience, who, lived the, who went through the tests and passed, and we can imitate them, and they pray for us. So we remember their lives and their rewards as incentives so that we can imitate them. So we wretched sinners, in addition, do not, do not have the boldness to ask for all of these petitions on our own. We appeal to the Theotokos and to the saints to intercede for us. Even in the word when we say, most holy Theotokos, so, so mas, save us. That's a very bold word. Most holy Theotokos, save us. And that's what it means in the Greek. Soson imas. The word soson me is the same as the verb sotirios, to save. Now we understand as Orthodox Christians that salvation only comes from God through Jesus Christ. But we say to the Theotokos, save us, because uh, uh, Father Thomas Hopko of Blessed Memory gave this example. When we are, say we're swimming in a lake, and we start to drown, and we go down one time, and we come up for air, and we see the lifeguard across the water, we do not, set, we do not yell to the, to, the, to the lifeguard, lifeguard, intercede for me. We, we call out to the lifeguard, lifeguard, save me. This is the kind of salvation that we are talking about with the Theotokos. She is our advocate, she is our intercessor, she said that she intercedes before her son. She is our advocate. We all need an advocate. We all need a good advocate before God and so far because our salvation depends on it. So this is why we say, uh, save us. In fact, during these petitions, uh, sometimes in some churches, uh, communities, there's a, a folk tradition uh, where the chanter or the people may say quietly, most holy Theotokos, save us. This is probably not in your liturgy book, 
but this was established as a custom, um, that, that, as something that springs naturally from the hearts of the faithful. Right? So we do not pray for the Theotokos to save our souls to, for salvation, but we pray to her to intercede with Christ our God. And then finally, these petitions are wrapped up with, To you, O Lord. This is the faithful's response to the invitation to rededicate ourselves. St. Simeon the theologian said, To you, O Lord, means to you, Christ our God, we dedicate and offer ourselves. And this, to you, O Lord, si kyrie, is repeated many times during the liturgy and all the services. It is literally without end. It is literally incessant. It is a pledge to Christ that we trust him and dedicate our existence to him. Now, let's see where we are. Are you still there? Are you still there? Okay, good. Are you still there? Everybody? <laughs> um, good. I got nervous for a second. I think we're all, uh, so um, what time is it now? What time do we have? 7.54. Well, we, we, uh, we, let's conclude here with the petitions. Um, and the next time we will continue with the antiphons, the three antiphons. Um, and, um, and, um, and why those are, why do we sing uh, te, through, the, through the prayers of the Holy Theotoko, save us? Why do we sing, save us, the Son of God? During, the, during, those, um, during those antiphons, we sing what's called the mini-creed, written by an emperor and placed by the emperor into the liturgy. I'm talking about the uh, only begotten Son and Word of God that was written by an emperor. Imagine that. And we'll talk more about this. So um, we'll stop the present. We'll stop my part here, and I'm going to give a little bit of silence, and then I'm going to ask if anybody and I'm gonna mute everybody, and I'm going to ask if anybody has any questions. And I did say a lot. I did talk a lot. I might have said everything. So excuse, I have some little little critters flying around me too. I don't know what this is, but. Uh, well, um, I hope this was helpful. I hope I didn't put anybody to sleep. Um, and we'll continue next Thursday at 7 o'clock uh, with the antiphons.